This is Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager, Canada's national source for the latest agronomic research, crop production, and technology trends. You've tuned in to hear conversations about relevant research, best production practices, and everything in between. I'm a hard-working nitrogen granule, just like anyone else. I never used to take this nitrogen gig too seriously, but now I have a wife and kids to think about. So, I wear this ESN polymer coating. Protects me from nitrogen loss on the job site until crops need me. No worries. The ESN coating makes me a smarter, more responsive nitrogen. Want to learn more? Come check me out at smartnitrogen.com. Welcome, everyone. My name is Dylan Shirley, and I'll be your host for this week's episode. Today, I am joined by Amanda Fedorchuk. She is a master's student at the University of Saskatchewan within the Department of Plant Sciences. Amanda, welcome to Inputs. Thanks, Dylan. I'm happy to be here. Happy you're here, too, because Amanda is going to be the inaugural graduate showcase that I want to bring to Inputs and for Top Crop Manager, where uh, we know that there are a bunch of great graduate students uh, within all the different institutions across our lovely country. And we want to start talking to them and we want to give them some time that they can talk about the great research that they're doing. So Amanda has wonderfully joined us today and agreed to uh, talk about how her research is going. So Amanda, before we start going into what you've been doing over the last couple of years, I just wanted to ask um, what interested you to pursue a master's degree uh, and then specifically, what also drew you to the University of Saskatchewan? Yeah, so I did my undergrad, actually, at the U of S as well. Um, it's where my mom went to school and my auntie went to school. So it's kind of, I guess you could call it a family legacy to continue to go to the U of S. Um, I actually had a huge 13-year plan of becoming a doctor. And I did my first year in ag. And then I realized that that's where my heart was because I'm from a farm in the middle of nowhere, Saskatchewan. I couldn't leave ag. So I finished my degree in 2018. And then I continued with my master's with the same supervisor that I had for my undergrad research. Um, So I just really kind of walked right into my master's program after my undergrad. And here we are. And I'm sure that just the general of agriculture is happy that you didn't leave and that you're you're <laughs> continuing on this familial uh, legacy of within the U of S there. So your master's uh, thesis title is the integration of pre-emergence residual herbicides with cultural and mechanical weed control provides better management and faba bean. So that's quite a mouthful. So let's start pulling apart things uh, piece by piece. And first uh, we should talk about your study plant, and that's faba bean. Could you talk over the relevance and the importance of this crop um, just in general and then also in Saskatchewan? Sure. So faba beans are grown for two primary purposes. First being human consumption. Um, That's more so overseas. And then more so in this area, it's for animal feed. So the number of acres has kind of really gone up and down over the years. Um, The biggest concern for growers is that There aren't a lot of weed control options for faba beans along with other pulse crops, but um, the other issue is faba beans are really sensitive to drought and heat stress. So that kind of limits where it can, they can grow in the prairies, but 
once we get the weed control issues under control, um, it has huge potential to expand its acres in sort of that northern parts of the prairies. So that's what this research is kind of looking at is, can we control those weeds and then we can expand these acres? Right. And so you're talking about looking at weed management. And the first thing that kind of goes to my mind is herbicide use or some kind of chemical treatment to that a producer or farmer could put onto their field. Uh, Could you go over some um, of the common perhaps chemicals or herbicides that are used uh, for weed control in pulses and faba bean? Agriculture in general has kind of started over relying on herbicides. So the issues of herbicide resistant weeds are becoming more and more of an issue and it's becoming more of an more of an issue in pulse crops because there are very limited herbicides um of the 26 registered herbicide groups only six of those are registered for use on faba beans and really only a couple of them are used in crop so you have basically three herbicide timings in a year you have your pre-emergence so that's before you're seeding that crop you go in with usually a glyphosate treatment or your Roundup and you kill off any of the weeds that are growing early in the year. And then you come in once the faba beans are already growing, you spray any weeds that might've escaped that first application. And then at the end of the year, there's an opportunity to spray any of those weeds that are um, still left before winter. Now, the problem with that is, is the herbicides that are sprayed in crop are putting the biggest pressure on further developing these developing these herbicide resistant weeds. So what we're trying to do is look at ways that could we reduce the number of weeds exposed to this herbicide treatment or can we completely get rid of it? Full transparency, when I started this research, I thought that was out to lunch because I'm from a farm. So of course you need to spray a herbicide in crop, especially in pulse crops. But that's what this research was looking at was maybe we don't have to. Right. And so just before we get into exactly what you were looking into, I just want to touch on one thing that was pretty integral in your uh, overall thesis in that it's this concept of integrated weed management or IWM. Could you go over kind of what it is as a concept and maybe some kind of other cultural or uh, other things that a producer could do uh, in their field to control for weeds? Yeah, so by definition, an integrated weed management strategy is using basically cultural, mechanical, and chemical weed control options together into one big successful weed management program. Um, So if we break those down, your chemical options are those three herbicide applications that I um, had mentioned earlier. If you're looking at cultural weed control options, you're looking at increasing your seeding rate, decreasing that row spacing, and seeding really early or as early as you can in your environment. And what this does is these help the crop create a dense canopy early in that season so then it can outcompete the weeds for the, that water, light, nutrients. And then further to that, there's also mechanical weeding options. And I know these aren't well or common 
per se in growers sheds right now, but something like a uh, rotary hoe can be used for actually taking the weeds out of a crop that's already growing just by kind of flipping the soil and flipping these little weeds out of the soil and killing them. So using all three of those tactics, we can put them all together into one big integrated weed management strategy. Gotcha. Thank you for going over that. So now let's, uh, let's take a dive into uh, what research you were able to do over the last couple of years. So uh, within your first chapter, you kind of focus in on uh, seeding rate and how that overall impacts for weed control alongside uh, herbicide treatments. Could you go over kind of what your uh, protocols or your methodology was for uh, tackling this? Sure. So this study, we looked at basically if we increase our seeding rate and we apply a pre-emergence herbicide with residual activity. So this is a herbicide that we spray, but it continues to work for a little bit longer after it's been sprayed. So the herbicide that we chose was pyroxysulfone and sulfentrazone. Um, so this has been shown to have up to six weeks of residual activity. So it's up to six weeks of weed control. Now this period depends on your soil type. So if you have higher clay soils, it might reduce the efficacy of this herbicide. Or if you have less moisture in your soil, it'll reduce that efficacy. But in general, can we take an increased crop seeding rate, which will um, increase that plant competition, pair that with a pre-emergence herbicide, and then reduce the amount of weeds that are in our crop. So that's what this one was looking at. We had seeding rates varying from 10 seeds to, per meter squared up to 125 seeds per meter squared. Currently, the recommended seeding rate for faba beans is about 45 seeds per meter squared. So those were our treatments. Right. So that's a, that's a pretty marked uh, increase for seeding rate there. So what what were the results of uh, of your study from this? So what we found was when you spray that residual herbicide, it actually did decrease our weed pressures and there was a crop increase, yield increase. So that was good. Um, we also found a benefit for uh, a seeding rate of between 50 and 75 seeds per meter squared. So even though the current rate is 45, pushing it just to 50 or 60, which is not a crazy jump, um, was better controlling the weeds and increasing the yield. Wow. Just, uh, just not even like you're kind of saying, like just going from 45 to 60, even kind of was already helping both in your yield and for your weed control. So what other kind of conclusions were you able to draw out from, uh, this first, uh, kind of project that you were working on? So this project, I think that the big takeaway from this one was, like you said, those are two very easy things to change. You're going in with that glyphosate pre-herbicide application anyways. So you throw this residual herbicide into that tank mix, you up your seeding rate and you have greater yield benefits and greater yield or weed control. So just two very simple things that growers can put into the practice is going to um, help them long-term. Yeah, exactly. So I, I found that this first kind of conclusions that you're able to draw from your thesis worked really well uh, in going into the next chapter where you almost upped the ante or upped 
the intensity of the other kind of um, cultural weed control practices that you could do. So could you go into part of your thesis there? Could you go into kind of their objectives and then go into specifically what these other cultural practices that you're using? Yeah. So the first chapter, we did have an in-crop herbicide application in some of our treatments, just so that we can compare to see what that weed control was. But this chapter, we only had pre-emergence herbicides. We didn't spray anything in crop. So we were looking at that concept of we've come become so reliant on these herbicides, especially the in-crop herbicides. What would happen if we kind of put all of these strategies together into one successful program? Because if you look at the literature, a lot of the research that's been done has been done on just seeding rate to increase yield and um, decrease weed pressures or just a seeding date or just a rotary hoe. But what this study wanted to do, which is a novel concept in the first study that we know of, that it's combining all of these strategies into one, let's see what we can do. In this one, our herbicide treatments were glyphosate alone. And since that doesn't have a uh, residual herbicide period, it's just a contact herbicide. We use that as our control treatment. We also use glyphosate tank mix with saflufenacil, with flumioxazin, and then with pyroxysulfone and sulfentrazone. So those have two, four, and six weeks of residual activity showing in ideal conditions. Um, and then for integrated weed management practices, we split that into three. So we had low, medium, and high levels of integrated weed management. The low being kind of the step back from what we were, are doing today. Our medium is more of common practice and then high is our next step. So breaking those each down, our low um, integration treatments are our recommended seeding rate, which I mentioned was 45, a late seeding date. So we ended up seeding about the end of May, 24 inch row spacings, which is considered wide, and then no mechanical weed control. And then a medium integrated weed management practice, which I said is our current practices, um, that recommended seeding rate, a moderately early seeding date. So we're shooting for about the middle of May. Um, a 12 inch row spacing, which is, a, is more so normal for what we have. And then no mechanical weed controls. And then our high IWM treatment as um, our step forward. We had a very early seeding date. So we got in there first week of May we we're planting our beans. Um, we doubled the seeding rate, the same row spacing. And then we also went in with a rotary hoe after the beans had emerged. Um, and what, with one pass, we just stirred up that soil and, rape and controlled and tried to rip up those weeds. So those were our treatments. So it sounds like through just listening to the methodology here that you're able to create three very great distinct uh, levels of intensity for IWM practices, as well as uh, kind of changing up your herbicide treatment. So what were the results from this study? So it, I don't think it'd be a shock to know that our spray your glyphosate alone with nothing else and your low levels of IWM is going to be your poorest yielding and your poorest weed control. Um, all three of the herbicide options that we tank mix with glyphosate 
did re uh, reduce that weed pressure in crop. Saflufenicilt, which was supposed to be our two-week residual control, which was our lowest of the three, actually ended up being the best at controlling weeds in three of our four sites. It's also the cheapest of the three options. So that was very nice. Um, but when it came to the IWM treatments, the there is a huge yield benefit and weed control benefit to moving from that low to medium level of IWM. There was a benefit from increasing that further to the high levels of IWM. Not in all cases, however, um, it trended to be better in those treatments, but we kind of found that the true benefit in that high, high level of IWM, so that next step, isn't something that we're going to try to tell every grower that you need to go out and buy an, a rotary hoe. It's more so for the growers that, say, have lost the ability to grow fava beans or other pulse crops due to herbicide resistance, um, lack of available herbicides. We're coming, we have a lot of herbicide shortages lately. Um, so the, these growers don't have to throw in the towel. They don't have to completely get rid of their pulse crops from the rotation. That would be terrible for them financially as well as for the environment. But this next step is gonna allow these growers to keep growing pulse crops. So that I think was the big exciting takeaway from that jump to the high. That is great. And just kind of allowing producers to, like you were kind of saying, like keep pulses in mind and, and within their rotations. So taking a step back and looking at both of the studies that you're able to do within your master's, what are some of the big takeaways or, you know, major conclusions that you can draw? So I think the big one that we found was this whole thesis in general has shown that there's a competitive ability or we can increase that in competitive ability and the overall productivity of fava beans when you combine those residual herbicides with several cultural options, a rotary hoe. So we were able to better control weeds with taking a step back and not relying so much on these herbicides. And further to that, I think kind of controlling these herbicide resistant weeds. In a meeting one time, there was a gentleman, he said, you're never gonna spray your way out of a resistance issue. And that really stuck with me because this research is, yes, we're looking at herbicides, but we're looking at them as a tool and not as a necessity. So we're better able to control these herbicide resistant weeds, take a step back and rely on herbicides less, and kind of have a more robust weed management plan. So I guess we can say that we're extending the life of these herbicides. Right, exactly. Kind of keep in mind that some of these herbicides are, like you said, like tools, and we don't want to lessen their effectiveness by perhaps overusing them right. or over-relying on them. Um, so put yourself in your shoes here. If you were given another year to do more research or, uh, throughout the, your conclusions, did you, do you have any kind of outstanding questions or perhaps things that should be looked at in the future? So I have two kind of 
further questions that I want, I would like to see addressed. The first one is, is there a tailored solution that we can make for growers in different parts of the prairie? So the environments and the weed populations and species are very different in Northeast Saskatchewan, Central Saskatchewan, Northwest Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Alberta. It's a completely different environments. So while we did this research in Saskatoon, Southeast of Saskatoon and in Melfort, the results might've been different, say had we done this near Edmonton or Winnipeg. So I'd like to see more of a tailored solution to this is where I am on a map, what works best for me and the weeds that I have in my field. The other question that I had was, are there other mechanical weeding tools that we can use to accomplish the same thing? So rotary holes are not very common to growers on the prairies, but something like harrows. I would wager a bet that a very large percentage of farmers have a set of harrows sitting in their yard. And those have been shown to have promising weed control benefits. So what would happen if we did the same study, but with harrows instead of a rotary hoe? So to make it more accessible for farmers. So those are my two kind of next step questions that I would have had. And those are fantastic points that perhaps a, a young and eager undergraduate student can take to perhaps a prospective uh, graduate supervisor and propose they get to do that research. So Amanda, just before you go, um, where can people contact you uh, if they have any questions about uh, the great research that you're able to do? I think email is probably the best way to contact me. It's my first name dot dot last name. So amanda.fedorchuk at usask.ca. Great. Well, Amanda, thank you for joining us this week. Thank you very much for having me. And if you are listening and you know a graduate student that has fantastic research that they want to talk about, or you're just a graduate student listening and you want to talk about the great research that you're doing, uh, please contact us and uh, we'll see if we can talk to you in a future episode. Thanks for tuning in to Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager. To catch up on all of our other episodes, visit topcropmanager.com slash podcasts.